You're listening to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, an update on clean energy and climate policy. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, leading energy market analyst, David Leach. Well, hello and welcome to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, um, where we have experienced another extraordinary week in energy technology and energy politics. We started off with two billionaires tweeting about battery storage. We had a South Australia energy announcement. We had a Malcolm Turnbull pumped hydro announcement. And then we had a stand-up stout between the um, South Australian Premier and the Federal Energy Minister. David Leach, thanks for joining us. You have been an energy analyst for a couple of decades. Was the energy industry ever supposed to be this exciting? Well, I'm glad it is exciting from the point of view of being an analyst. If I was an investor, I'd be a bit pissed off because uh, what I'm looking for as an investor is safe, secure, predictable returns. And I don't think we're going to be getting that in electricity other than in the network businesses. And even they've got some risks for some time. But why don't we run through these events that have uh, got us all going this week, Giles? Yeah, look, well, let's start off with those tweeting, um, those tweeting billionaires. Um, look, um, we've been talking about battery storage for a while. A lot of people in the industry have been talking about battery storage in a while, but it seemed to have taken these two billionaires tweeting about it to get the attention of the Prime Minister and the Premier. And all of a sudden, we now have a 100 megawatt battery storage tender in South Australia. And we've got a similar size one, um, or more, although more distributed, in Victoria. Um, Australia has suddenly become the epicentre for the battery storage market. Well, it, the batteries have been used for frequency control. It's a new market. There's 500 megawatts in, in, been installed in South Korea, 200 markets in the UK, and there's already been one going for a year or so in Ireland. Um, uh, the, the, for frequency control, I think the, the uh, economics are going to be fantastic. Um, as we move to using them as peak, peak generators, uh, it's going to be pretty good as well, I think. Uh, as we move to using them for straight-out storage, what people traditionally think of a battery doing, then the economics are still more marginal, but I'm hopeful, even they'll be good looking forward. Yeah, look, and that makes it interesting because this, uh, the, um, the Prime Minister came up with his plan for pumped hydro storage, which is of a scale, sort of, you know... An enormous scale and, you know, sort of snowy Mark II, if you like. Now, it really struck me that with this thing, if this actually happens, and look, it's a long, long way from happening because he's just asked for a feasibility study and he's got to try and get funding from it and he's got to get agreement from three different um, governments. But if pumped hydro storage does become a thing, it kind of puts to death any idea that you're going to have new gas-fired generators. And it basically seems to me to at least to actually change the conversation about where we're heading in Australia with our renewable energy market. Wind and solar are clearly the cheapest. With pumped hydro storage, with battery storage, and with other forms of storage, you're basically on the way to a fully renewable market. Well, Giles, that may be so. Um, I want to point out that storage of all forms at the moment is actually a net consumer of electricity. It takes more electricity to charge a battery than it can deliver. It takes more electricity, 20, 30, 40% more to, to fill a dam than it does to discharge it if you're using pumped hydro. And secondly, you, you, you mentioned the Prime Minister's plan. Well, what, what kind of a plan is it when you just wake up in the morning and read this announcement? Where's the underlying modelling? Where's the economic study? Where is the overall plan that says that we need a lot more pump storage in, in the snowy? I mean, it may never mind that I can tell you right now, having studied LNG projects and plenty of other big, big decisions, the economics of this will never look better. 
if it only costs two billion, well done. But I, you know, I'd start building in contingencies, delays, environmental impact statements, and all sorts of other issues. So if it comes to pass at all, then it's probably going to be about a decade away. Um, and it's kind of ironic as well, because Turnbull and Frydenberg are actually slamming the South Australian government this week about sort of preempting the Finkel report and spending $500 million on their own grid. Um, so it's kind of ironic that the Turnbull and um, Frydenberg did exactly the same thing with pumped hydro. And I guess that was probably um, um, some, of the, some of the reasons for the stash that they had when they got together for a um, AGL battery storage trial. But... Um, Let's go to that South Australia um, announcement. Now, a big energy plan. We had the battery storage, which we've just mentioned. They're also going to build a 250 megawatt gas plant for $360 million. Now, I kind of understand why they're doing it, because they don't trust the market to do the right thing and switch on the generators when they're, when they're needed. But do you really need a gas plant of that size and for that price to, to do the job? Well, I, I'm never going to criticise a state for having more power or more reserves than it needs. And if South and South Australia has had some blackouts, energy security has been an issue. Uh, um, you know, the money they're spending on an aeroderivative gas turbine, you can you can argue about that, but it's going to be that 250 megawatts of power available when needed, uh, which won't be for very often given the gas it consumes. I think perhaps from the national perspective, though, the two things that are interesting is firstly handing over some of the royalties for gas exploration. We, we probably won't have time to talk about that, but you know that's a very important distinction compared to what's happened everywhere else in the country. And uh, secondly, it's the fact that South Australia is, is sort of taking back some of the powers to run the electricity market for itself. I mean, this, this really gets to the heart of the very issue of, of, of the NEM and COAG and, and who's actually running the show at the moment and, and, and whether there's any management of NEM. You know, we're getting these bloody announcements being made left, right and centre by premiers, prime ministers, uh, um, without, as I keep saying, any national coordinated plan or any idea of how these announcements are going to fit into the broader scheme of things. And, and that's, um, that's where we, we certainly, um, I think if you were looking at uh, the Prime Minister or as a, as a company, you'd say coming up with these announcements without demonstrating the economics, uh, it's, it's more like politics than it, than it is about uh, business or energy security. Yeah, look, and I guess this goes to the heart of that stoush between the extraordinary scene where you've got Jay Weatherall and Josh Frydenberg both attending the launch of AGL's virtual power plant in Adelaide, which is all about sort of linking household batteries together and creating this sort of so-called five megawatt solar plant. Jane Weatherall just lay into him. Now, it was extraordinary theatre, and I don't know whether it was good or bad politics. Other people will be the judge of that. But look, I guess what it does say is that, I um, mean, you know, we do not have any bipartisanship on energy policy, and I don't actually think that that actually is going to help get us there. It's extraordinary, and as you say, it's kind of about the management of the grid, both the direct day-to-day -day operations of the grid, but also the year-to-year -year policy um, direction of the grid. Look, I think these fights, whilst they may help to clear the air and certainly make it uh, very obvious where the disagreements lie, and to an extent, I think uh, Jay Weatherall was absolutely entitled to, to lay into Frydenberg, because Frydenberg is a smart guy and he knows what the realities of the situation are, but he, he does want to play politics to some extent. Uh, in the end, though, the fighting always reflects badly on everyone. Australian people and voters want logical, clear, reasoned solutions that, and, and policy development that they can believe in 
beyond the political cycle. We have to come back to COAG. We have to come back to the national electricity market. The debate at the moment is whether who's going to be deciding electricity policy. Is it going to be the federal government because of uh, the carbon commitments, or is it going to be the state governments with their own renewable targets and their own security at risk? South Australia is a small market, but the risk of blackouts and energy shortages in New South Wales and Victoria can't be underestimated. And those states are going to be having to think about their own uh, parochial issues because that's what, what premiers do when push comes to shove. Indeed, indeed. In fact, we saw a report out from the AEMO um, this week, which actually just highlighted how, South, how close South Australia came to another system black event um, just a couple of weeks ago. And that's when their two baseload generators, Torrens Island and Pelican Point, tripped out. AEMO says it doesn't know why. It's unexplained. Um, there was an, an initial fire which might have accounted for one unit, but another two units went. The neighbouring Pelican Point went. In fact, the only thing that actually held the grid together, it looks like, was wind farms because those um, ride-through settings had been fixed and the, um, and the interconnector held firm. Um, before they managed to recover the situation. So Giles, Giles uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to any of our listeners that AEMO doesn't know why it happened, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they said in another report, actually, they didn't actually know what the settings were of any plant that was actually built before 2007. Um, and these are the crucial settings that actually looked at the stability of the grid, so it's quite extraordinary. And they didn't know what the settings were of the wind farms uh, in, that were built well after 2007, which I think is disgraceful that they, you know, we had these wind farm settings in Texas and in Europe uh, that allowed for ride-through of... Uh, of system disturbances, and they weren't installed in South Australia. And in my opinion, it is absolutely AEMO's job, one, to be aware of that, and two, to make sure they were installed. This is another example where we don't have sufficient managerial oversight. Who in is in looking after the fact that AEMO is doing a good job? The AEMC is staffed by a bunch of lawyers, uh, its chief executive who, you know, may doesn't have a background in actually understanding electricity and yet is supposed to be making all of this policy. Um, Danny Price is, is sitting around there giving it, you, you know, you can't go to an electricity meeting, you pull your handkerchief out of your pocket and guess it's Danny Price that turns up, you know. <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> Mr. Everywhere Man, yeah, look, I actually put this put this um, question about AEMO to uh, the Energy Minister in South Australia, Tom Coutson-Tonis, at, um, at that press briefing on Tuesday. And I pointed out to him that um, AEMO had taken a lot of action to protect the New South Wales grid during the recent heat wave. It actually reduced the... Um, the it actually constrained the interconnector, wound it back from 600 megawatts to 100 megawatts, on the risk that Australia's biggest and most efficient and most modern coal-fired generator, Cogan Creek, could possibly trip. And if it did that, the voltage impact would actually send, set the lights out in northern New South Wales. And I asked um, Mr Cousin-Tonez whether he thought that maybe the, the market operator should have done that before the September 28th um, blackout last year when they actually did nothing, when they saw the storms coming. And... Um, Yes, he wasn't very impressed. He didn't. He says, I asked him, I, what, was it allowed to fail? And he said, well, I don't know about that. That's an open question. But they certainly did want to see how strong the interconnectors or how the, how the internet interconnectors could resist a strong wind. And um, they are just absolutely ropeable about the way they've been treated both by the market operator and by the government. And hence that stouch today. Um, Let's move on to um, another thing. Tomorrow, um, if we are going to get any hope in, um, in energy policy, um, it could possibly come through the Finkel Review. Um, it's going to announce um, that about 500 or so submissions have been um, 
have been included, and they're going to be open open for um op open for everyone to look. Um, so hopefully that might take us forward, but I'm not really too sure. Well, I'm going to a party on Saturday night, Giles, uh, uh, but I hope to have had all 500 submissions read by Sunday morning. <laughs> no, but sounds, what... like, sounds like it's going to be a good party. <laughs> <laughs> what I'd say is that some of these submissions have already been published on the submitters' website, even though they're not available as yet on the AEMO website. It's a shame they're not available yet. So I've read the AEM. C submission and uh, I think it's the AEMO submission and a couple of others and they all ma they make some uh, good points uh, about them uh, and but in the end as I keep saying it's I keep coming back to the structure of the NEM you know it's it COAG sits there it doesn't have a, a chief executive so you've got governance without management uh, the reports have said, as I said, the AEMC which is the chief policy advisor and perhaps policy maker uh, is, is basically full of lawyers that don't necessarily understand electricity and the new technology. Its chief executive, uh, John Pierce, has been there for a very long time, and in my opinion, as a result of that, of his position probably should be feeling some pressure as, as to the state of affairs that we've got itself in. But until we get some clear policy direction coming through federally, uh, at the, through COAG, uh, we are going to see the states increasingly taking back control of their electricity system. Now, whether this is a, a good thing or a bad thing, uh, we will have to see. I, I personally think it would be better to have uh, a properly coordinated national electricity market. And this is the other thing I'm on about at the moment. Customers aren't seeing a proper market. They're either seeing regulated monopoly, uh, which is the distribution charges, or they're seeing an oligopoly, uh, which is basically AGL and Origin and the Queensland government, uh, uh, you know, is the other half of the bill. So we haven't got a proper market working. Uh, we haven't got any policy. And, and this is why the lights may be going out. Well, let's try and think of some good news then. Um, Clear Energy Finance Corporation has announced a um, probably the biggest um, loan towards solar farms. So we've got another three solar farms being um, built in Queensland by a new group, uh, Wurzol, that's coming to Australia. Um, there's solar farms appearing everywhere at the moment. I mean, that must reflect the cost of, um, of electricity coming down. And I was absolutely fascinated to note that Santos has actually teamed up with Zen Energy. That's Ross Garno's outfit. And um, Santos decides they're going to help them build a solar farm because Santos reasons that it can actually um, free up some gas um, for the gas market. And I just thought that was really interesting to note that Santos decides that the best way to actually free up gas in the gas market is not to actually drill for more gas, it's actually to build a solar farm. That tells us something about the changing economics, doesn't it? Well, it does, Giles. Of course, uh, you know, as an investor, you would have to say, we hope so. Santos is making a better investment decision than they did with their GLNG plant, which has certainly cost Santos investors a huge amount of money. Look, just well, I've never, I've never quite heard of a, of a company actually making such a huge investment without actually guaranteeing supply, but anyway. So uh, by my count, I think we're up to about uh, 1,600 megawatts of new wind that's actually got to financial close and about 1,200 megawatts of solar. And then there's another maybe 250 megawatts that almost that's been announced but just hasn't had the financial close. So that's more in terms of uh, megawatts uh, than this uh, snowy scheme. Uh, and it will probably end up in total delivering more energy uh, than the Snowy Scheme. 
So I just want to keep coming back to this, mate. So that's great that all of that stuff's coming on, but the policy debate that we really want to be having is how to make that renewable energy dispatchable. What is the best way? Is it by building wind farms in South Australia and New South Wales to, to reduce the intermittency? Is it by building pumped hydro? Is it by building battery storage? Uh, it's this, is it by having distributed storage out at the household level which I put, and, and business level, which are in line with AGL's uh, 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 trial that's going on now? Uh, th this is the sort of dis debate that we should be having, not these just grandstanding political announcements made without the basis of any proper thinking going on. It's just really is giving me a pip. <laughs> I can tell, I can tell, I can tell. Well, look, I guess with the tenders that have been done by Victoria and in South Australia, we're going to find out very quickly um, exactly where we're heading with battery storage. So um, that's going to be interesting and that's got to be a thing. And look, it is probably time that we had a serious look at pumped hydro. I mean, this has been talked about for a while. Some people swear by it, saying it's the future. Um, and it's cheaper. Other people doubt that and um, d dispute it intensely. You certainly can't get by with it having all lumped in one place. You've got to have it scattered around the country, otherwise you're just relying on big interconnectors and we know that they fail. Um, but look, I think we're starting to change the conversation and look, it's really rough and it's disruptive and people are rude to each other, but at least we're getting there. So I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Oh, I do agree that one way or another, that the market doesn't like, no one likes high prices and high prices work. They produce people, people do things they, they you know, they switch from gas to, to wind or solar. Uh, um, they, they look at batteries, they look at pumped hydro, we in, in, introduce energy efficiency. In that sense, the prices uh, are working. I just think that uh, there's a lot more that could be done to make it work in a far more systematic way. And we really need more, more proper leadership from the top and people to get off their high political ideological horses and get down to the nuts and bolts of doing the, the, the little detailed work to make sure that these projects fit in uh, in the best way possible for consumers. And, you know, let's meanwhile, uh, let's get the households putting their and, and, and businesses putting their uh, storage, their batteries in and their solar on the roofs. And uh, let's keep moving forward. Excellent. Well, look, thank you very much, David. Let's, let's just have a look, quick look forward next week. Look, one really interesting event that's happening next week is the new CEO of AEMO is actually starting. She um, comes from the New York Reform the Vision, uh, Reform the Energy Vision program, which is really very, very progressive. Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see what role she takes. A, week's late, a week later, she's going to be unveiling their investigations into the um, System Black event in South Australia. So it'll be interesting to see what her take is on that. And um, I expect to see more storage announcements and more solar announcements. So, um... so Charles, it's probably worth mentioning that, you know, uh, a, a lot of the leadership uh, in the energy industry, in the electricity industry, is going to be coming from the from the women's side of things. We're going to have a female chief executive of AEMO. We've got a female chief executive of the AEMC. Uh, energy Australia has got a female chief executive, uh, probably overrepresented and that has to be a good thing too. Well exactly, in fact we've got two um, state energy ministers, um, Lily D'Ambrosio and um, Alana McTiernan over in WA, so um, that's probably a good thing as well, so maybe we can have a bit more sense around the place. David, thank you very much and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Giles. Bye bye.